Morning Church. Happy Sunday. And today's theme is transformation. Transformation, transformation, transformation. That is what Paul is going to talk about in Romans 3. Now, previously to this, he's got around to discussing the esoteric mysticism that's going on and the way that that is somehow trying to merge with a traditional Jewish understanding. And Paul casts that aside. And he said, it is all about Jesus. Now, what we seem to see happen in this passage is a whole laundry list of do's and do nots. But the truth of the matter lies a little deeper. This is a conversation about the preeminence of Christ in your own life and the preeminence of Christ in your family's life. That is critical to understanding what Paul is about to go on about here. Now, you're going to see a lot of imagery here that draws on Romans 1, Romans 8, Galatians 5, uh, a lot of other letters, obviously, from Paul, but they all those themes tie in right now in this very, very significant chapter. So let's read along and see it unfold. Colossians 3. Verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Why is he saying this? He wants to pull on apocalyptic language. He wants to pull on a lot of the understanding of other books at the time, um, this kind of feeling of revelation and the second part of Daniel is really popular in the writing. So he's saying, hey, you want to look at things above. You like the idea of worshiping angels. Well, think to Christ who is in heaven above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. A transformation has happened in your life, and this is significant. It means that there are some old qualities that you are going to cast off and some new qualities that you are going to put on. And Paul outlines them. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This is really significant because the esoteric mysticis, uh, mystics of Colossae, along with the traditional Jews, actually struggled, believe it or not, with a lot of sexual impurity. So they are imposing all these uh, rites and rituals on the Church of Colossae, but they themselves are not governed by the transforming power of God. And so Paul here is highlighting that. And he says, why? Because the wrath of God is coming. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that there needs to be a healthy understanding of God's wrath towards sinful things. Okay, now Paul is setting that up then to say, you've been transformed. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things, these things that are anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lip. lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Sanctification is the big word here. And sanctification is that process whereby you are transformed by knowing Jesus. You see, what was your old sinful nature has been cast off and recreated anew by Jesus. 
for you were dead in your transgressions, but you are made alive, alive in Christ. This is huge. The sanctification doesn't just happen at conversion. There is an initial sanctification that takes place there whereby you are set apart and different now because of your relationship with Jesus. But a second sanctification unfolds over the course of your life as you are continually being sanctified because of the preeminence of Christ in your life. Preeminence is a big word, meaning the the thing of first importance. So this preeminence of Christ in your life continually leads to sanctification over and over and over and over and over again. And the way that I communicate this is that um, today, hopefully, you are a little bit better for knowing Christ than you were yesterday. And that process should continue as we run towards Jesus. Now, as we read on, there's a significance for why he's highlighting this because Colossae is a melting pot of all different cultural perspectives. And so he says, here there is no Gentile, no Jew, no circumcised, no uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And this harkens back to chapter 2. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And how Jesus has transformed your life. Now, I think one of the challenges is is we want to have a laundry list of do's and do nots. Okay, it would be way easier if as a Christian, what we could do is just set up a list of do's and do nots and we could walk through them. But this is the actual issue, the, the esoteric mystics, and the traditional Jews were trying to bring into Colossae. And Paul is really passionately putting them back to a transformation that takes place in Jesus. It's not about weighing people down with unnecessary rules and regulations, a laundry list of do's and do nots, but realizing that Jesus is transforming you day by day. In fact, you were immediately transformed for knowing Jesus. And now every single day you are being transformed by the love and the knowledge of Christ Jesus. And what does this look like? Well, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you need to clothe yourself differently. Now these are hallmarks. These are hallmarks of a transformed life. Are you compassionate? Are you kind? Are you humble? Are you gentle? Are you patient? Do you bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you have any grievance? Why? Because there is no Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is in all. You see, the challenge is, is that you have all these different people coming together from different cultural perspectives, living in one place, and they are bringing in all their different cultural perspectives. Hey, you're not a Christian unless you do this as well. Or what about this tradition? We've done this for centuries. And we pull them in and they create friction. They can create tension. They create sticking points. And Paul is saying, no, the extraordinary thing that happens is when we are united by Christ, we can come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, 
different cultural perspectives, different ways of life. But because of Christ, we have been transformed and our hallmarks are cross-cultural. They're intergenerational. The hallmarks are compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you have the ability to bear with one another and forgive if anyone has a grievance against you? How do you forgive? Will you forgive in the same way that the Lord forgave you? When the Pharisees came to him and said, how many times should we forgive a brother? Jesus said, says, it's not seven times. It's seven times, 77 times. It's relentless. It's scandalous, the amount of grace that you should show. It's ongoing. That while you were dead in your sin, Christ died for you. What is the level of forgiveness that you should show? It's undeniably undeniably transformed by Jesus. That that in a society where um, uh, there's a real uh, attachment to personal wealth and personal um, value in your knowledge and you, you would display this for all the people in Colossae so that you might be revered and renowned and if someone was to commit a sin against it, you, you, you would punish them to the maximum extent of the law. Paul is saying, are you being compassionate? Are you being humble? You, you see, all these qualities set you, part, set you apart from Hellenistic traditions. What does this look like? Well, above all, put on love. Put on love as the greatest of these virtues. We hear this again and again in Corinthians, in Galatians, in Ephesians. I said it right in in chapter 1 of this, this idea of faith, hope, love. And we see it again here in Colossians 3.14. And over all these virtues, put on love. Is that love becomes the hallmark for what we are to do as a Christian community. Paul sees love as one of the base hallmarks for defining a Christian community. Now, we see that in Romans 3, uh, sorry, Romans 13, 8 to 10, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, in Galatians 5, 6, 14, and 22 again, Mark 12 speaks of this. Love is a hallmark that is undeniably present in a community transformed by God. Now, what do we do? Well, we let the peace of Christ rule our hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. There 
isn't an anxiety or a nervousness that exists in a community that has been transformed by the love of Jesus. In fact, there is a trust that God is at work regardless of the circumstance. How many times this week have you been nervous about the 11 o'clock meeting with Gladys or when we're going to get out of lockdown or how soon the vaccinations are going to roll out? These are all things outside of our control, honestly. How nervous are you about when we're going to get back to doing church regularly? How nervous are you about the ability to educate your kids at home? I know I kind of am, right? How many times have I sat down and just let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard my heart? When have I pushed in and said, you know what, I won't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present those requests before God. This is a hallmark of a transformed community. The word here, peace, is shalom. It's it's a deep-rooted understanding of an internal rest that comes through a relationship with God that we can see injustice and where we can address that injustice, we will, but we are also acutely aware of God being at work in those situations. And we are thankful that God is present each and every day in our lives. We've been told this week that we got two more weeks of lockdown. And that might get extended depending on the numbers and the cases and the strains that we're seeing emerging. And, you know, it, It's not fun, it's not pleasant, but has it stopped my relationship with Jesus in any way? No. You see, this is what the passage is driving at, is that what Paul pushes in on is individual virtues for a person. Paul is asking you to clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience, is that the goal here for me is to walk away and look at myself and say, because of the sanctification, the ongoing sanctification that is going on in my life because of the transforming qualities of Jesus, am I being more compassionate? Am I being more kind? Am I being more humble? Or am I being more gentle and patient? Because the thing is, is when anxiety lifts and that lack of peace comes forward, all those things evaporate. They disappear. And we're short-tempered and we're frustrated and we get annoyed easily and we don't seem like a peaceful bunch, but we are in fact anxious but a transformed community by Christ is compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient. And that mandate is for you, and that mandate is for me. It is not a laundry list whereby we hold everyone else up to 
these standards that we are exhibiting in our own life, but a challenge for us to continually be sanctified in our own lives and through compassion and gentleness, inspire others to do the same. Paul says it starts with yourself. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly and teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Unless you are into 90s metal, it's very difficult to be angry and singing songs while you are admonishing someone. Our admonishment of somebody comes from a place of compassion and love, kindness, gentleness, and humility. And here's the crazy thing is that it plays out in psalms and hymns and songs. And we are so frustrated that we can't meet together and sing corporately and worship together, but there are oodles of playlists on all these different streaming platforms that we can put on and sing at the top of our lungs in our household. I, um, earlier last year, got a record player. I could put on records of hymns and songs and sing them at the top of my lungs together as a family and encourage one another. I can do it with gratitude in my heart and there's not a single person who is going to stop me. I'm not really obsessed about whether or not we can corporately sing in church because I take the delight in singing in my pajamas in my house at the top of my lungs. Nothing in this passage is hindered by COVID. There's nothing at all. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, our Father, through him. Seriously. Our schedules have changed, but our relationship with Jesus is not compromised in any way, shape, or form because of COVID. In fact, we have this delightful opportunity to push in on that transformation, to push in on that sanctification and see this compassion, see this humility and kindness and gentleness bubble up in the face of what is a supreme amount of anxiety of unrest, of distress. And if we as a community can walk into this with shalom and demonstrating these qualities, we are communicating to the world that we are transformed by Christ, underpinned by love. Now, after Paul addresses it to each of us individually, he then goes on to address it to the family unit. Now, for a Greek household that is very top-down authoritative, he blows up the whole system and he says it's been transformed. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. They are. Children are no longer seen as objects, but they are to obey their parents. They are part of this family unit. You know, the mortality rate amongst infants was ho- so high, children weren't given names until sometimes five, six, or seven years old. 
that's how high the mortality rate was in these early Christian communities that children were not even thought about as children until they kind of reached a survivable stage. But here, Paul honours them straight away. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. How many times this week have I been frustrated and fired off a nasty, you know, remark at Max or Ruby because I'm tired and exhausted and then been convicted by this passage to say, where was your compassion? Where was your humbleness? Where was your kindness? Where was your gentleness? Where was your patience? Where was your love? Are you demonstrating the same forgiveness that Christ demonstrated to you? And unequivocally, the answer is no. But there's an opportunity to be sanctified today and renewed by the love of Jesus and flip that and demonstrate that to my children. And whatever you do, work at it with your heart as though you are working for the Lord but not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord who you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. There is no favoritism. The truth of the matter is, Micah 6.8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Why? Because you have a loving, humble, merciful God who is watching over you and looking after you. Northgate, I don't care that we're in lockdown. It hasn't changed anything. Our routines have shifted a little bit, but we still have the opportunity to exhibit all of these things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, to show peace to a world that is anxious, to show love to a world that is feeling distrust. I don't have time for conspiracy theories. What I want to demonstrate is the love of Jesus and reflect that every single day to be renewed and to be transformed by it. I want the preeminence of Christ to be present in my household and I don't need to do that at church. I want to teach and admonish by singing songs, hymns, in the spirit, with gratitude in my heart, underpinned by a love that Paul harps on about in every single one of his books. This is a household that demonstrates transformation by Christ. It starts with me. Guess what? I can influence me. (laughs) I can change me. I can work on me. Then starts with my family. And I can influence my family. And I can work on my family. And I can invest and sow into my family with gentleness and kindness and love. Guess what happens when that happens for all of us? Our entire community is changed. And it's not done through a list of do's and do nots. It's done 
because of the transformative power of Jesus Christ. Do I get it right all the time? Nope. Are there days that I sit around in an Udi frustrated by the state that I find myself in? Yep. But I keep coming back to this. And I keep reminding myself that we are a hope-filled community demonstrating the love of Jesus. But it's got to start with me. It's got to start with you. So that's my encouragement today. Let's pray. Lord, um, we just surrender our hearts before you and know that Paul is doing something extraordinary. Paul is setting up households and lives of individuals to be transformed by the love of Jesus. God, you already did that through Jesus. That's already available to us. Lord, that you might transform our hearts day by day with compassion, with love, with kindness, with gentleness. Lord, that we might throw off any anger, rage, malice. Lord, that we might cast off any sexual immorality or impurity or lust. Lord, that we might clothe ourselves in righteousness, set apart, reborn, remade anew because of you. Lord, that we might live as a community transformed. And Lord, lead us in this. Amen.